0: Welcome to Face Value, with me, Brock Elbank. I'm a London-based photographer, who over the past decade has documented well over 500 incredible human beings from around the world for various portrait series, including beards, freckles, vitiligo, CMN, and most recently, scars. With a simple aim to raise body positive and mental health awareness through my Instagram page, Mr. Elbank. This podcast, in conjunction with the Brock Elbank Foundation, goes back through my archive and has conversations with former subjects for these series to discuss their incredible journeys and inspiring stories. So please sit back, relax. And enjoy. Thank you for listening. Three and a half hour delay on the... <laughs> on the okay. Um, good afternoon here. Good morning, United States of America. This is, I believe, episode 11 of Face Value with Brock L. Bank in conjunction with now the Brock L. Bank Foundation. We are... Fleeting over the pond, for a subject who I will be introducing in one second, who I have shot for my current scars series. Though it was about, it seems like it was about twenty five years ago. It was pre COVID. It was it was it it was uh, a while ago. So we have coal from the united states cole if you could say hello and introduce yourself to the people who are kindly listening and explain how we've met please
1: absolutely Uh, my name is cole park west i use they them pronouns and brock and i first met in the fall of 2019 i think
0: in the good old times Mm -hmm. simple times
1: um, I first started following Brock's work uh, during your Freckles series uh, because I have scars and freckles, and and so was delighted to uh, have have both photographed.
0: Indeed, um, Cole. As as uh, today's, I mean, we've just had Pride Month, which is a. You know, celebration of diversity. And I feel that uh, if you could, we're just going to dive into this because, as usual, Brock has um, hurdled the the technology. If we could just get into it, um, can you explain to the people who are kindly listening about your scars and your journey of how you got them, please?
1: Sure. Well, when I first reached out to you, Brock, I think um, I titled the email, Some Scars We Fight For. And so the scars that I have are across my chest. Um, I am a trans and non-binary person. And so in the spring of 2018, um, I had what's often called top surgery, uh, which is effectively a double mastectomy. Um, as a, uh, move toward living more authentically in the body that I was born into, um, I chose to have that surgery and was grateful that at the time my health insurance and, and my employer were supportive of that step toward, uh, a sort of medical transition, um, surgeries and hormones are are not an essential part of being trans um, but for me this was an important piece and um, it's it's really been gratifying and, and really fulfilling to live more comfortably in my body.
0: I, I couldn't have put that any better myself Cole beautifully <laughs> worded there um, to go back because I mean, you're you're a very intelligent, well-read person, in my humble opinion. But I'm I'm as thick as two short planks, so that's probably not saying much. <laughs> but um, but when when you when you kindly came over from the US, we did. I was really fascinated at, at you know how you'd got to that point because it's it is not something that people are going to take lightly, it's something that you would have probably um, juggled the the thoughts back and forth, Um, what are friends and family going to think, yada, 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 all of Mm. that. So to go to that length, to have that surgery, and obviously now you sort of, you know, everything makes sense, you're in a good place at what age were you when you kind of felt that you wanted to have this procedure and what, you know, what what were the years leading up to that like for you?
1: Yeah, it certainly wasn't a spur of the moment decision. Um, I would say it was approximately eight years prior that I obtained my first binder, uh, which is essentially a, um, very very tight sports bra. It's a a tool for compressing a person's chest, um, mm. and for some people it's extraordinarily uncomfortable, but an essential part of of how they live in their body and, and navigate the world in um, as the gender that they are. For me, I was I was never a very large chested person, um, and I often described my binder as a hidden hug. Uh, it's just kind of (laughs) uh, a tight, tight little squeeze, um, which was fine during the winter In the summertime it was extraordinarily uncomfortable just because it was hot. Um, surgery, however, is, is, uh, though, though it felt like an obvious solution, um, it's no small thing. And. Even, um, even though I knew that this was something ultimately that I wanted, you know, I spent many years leading up to that choice, um, lots of time in therapy, of course, uh, which is also, at least in my case, was an essential part of getting my insurance company to cover the surgery, to pay for it, Mm. um, so worked with my therapist um, and and also wanted to wait until I felt really certain that I would have the support that I needed uh, both from my chosen family, my friends, and also from my, my biological family. Uh, I was really nervous talking to my parents about this choice and it took them a little while to come around to it. Um, and Ultimately, they they were really supportive. Um, they they stopped by the day after surgery and brought flowers, and it was a little awkward because uh, it's. Um, how it how would you just
0: des- How do you would you describe your sort of immediate family? You know, you're sort of saying, I think anybody you obviously always want your parents or family to um be proud of you, accept you and and all of those kind of things. Um so it's it's like, you know, I remember when I got my nose pierced. <laughs> you know, I, I came home and my poor mum was like, Oh my God, it's on your face and da 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 you know, I mean this was about six hundred years ago now. Right. I mean that's just a nose pierced, You know, that's something you just take out and you've got a hole in it and that's it. Um leading up to the telling your, your family, you're saying it was awkward. Was it sort of like the white elephant in the room sort of thing when they came in?
1: Well, truthfully, I, I broached the conversation approximately two years before I had surgery. I, um, I took the occasion of my birthday to, to tell them that ah. I was thinking about this possibility. You know, that's, classic. That's but I thought shocking. That is people shocking. can't can't be mean to you on your birthday. <laughs> uh, so I, I that's really
0: clever. I'm making notes here.
1: Well, it, it didn't work out. The the truth is that uh, people shouldn't be mean to you on your birthday, but they can say problematic things to you, and um, and so in retrospect, uh, I perhaps shouldn't have broached that conversation. In a public space, at a restaurant, over dinner. In a restaurant
0: as well. It's like yeah. so it's almost like dumping your partner in a public place so they don't <laughs> react.
1: Oh, Cole. This is um, oh it, it didn't go well, I'll say. Uh, I can imagine that our server is perhaps still discussing their experience of trying to just approach us with some consistency and neutrality, as um, my mother, uh, bless her, sobbed, and um, my dad, ever the peacekeeper, attempted to smooth things over. And I I now feel a lot of clarity that for my mom, the dominant feeling was fear, um, that I was telling her a truth about myself, which is that I'm trans, and mm-hmm. though she is not deeply connected to queer and trans communities, she knows enough just living in the world to know that there's a lot of risk that comes with being trans, um, and or or living in a world as a trans person that doesn't yet know how to love and celebrate. And, and embrace the gender expansiveness of, of humanity.
0: Mm.
1: So mom said some, some hurtful things, um, which have all, have all washed under the bridge at this point. Um, yeah. and, but because of that conversation, I was really reluctant to tell them that I was moving forward with the surgery two years later, and so very carefully crafted a letter which I uh, asked my sister to look over. My sister is an, an incredible support and ally. What, and what's your sister's name? Jenny. Jenny. Jenny, who lives in Texas. Um, she read the letter, which was probably two pages when I sent it to her, and she said, no, 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 no. You need to explain this to mom and dad as if they were small children. <laughs> like, don't don't get too into the details. Um, mm. just, just keep it really simple. And, and so I, um, edited the letter down and, um, and was just really upfront. I was like, this is what's happening. This is when it's happening. This is the support that I'll have. Um, my partner at the time was going to be providing care for the first two weeks after surgery. And, And I also then articulated my boundaries. It's like, you don't, um, you know, I'm I'm not open to answering a lot of questions about this. Um, If you want to talk to other people, you can talk to Jenny. Um, I also reached out in advance to some family friends of ours who have a trans kid and said, could you be a resource to mom and dad if they are struggling with this? And um, as it turns out, in the two year span between when I first said, I might, I might cut off my boobs. (laughs) Um, and when I actually did it, mom and dad had done a lot of their own work and had done some research, had talked to people, I think. And so when it came down to getting that letter, um, I was received with just a lot of affirmation and support, and they brought me flowers after surgery, and um, and that's you know um, it wasn't smooth sailing through the whole experience, but people change and grow and transform, and I'm really grateful to have had that experience. Um, we we didn't start there. So just to dive in
0: there, Cole. So you from so it's your birthday two years before you're going for the procedure Mm -hmm. and you you've been building up for a couple of years to share this piece of news with your your immediate family in a in a restaurant on your birthday and the reaction and response doesn't bear kindly to you what my question is Between that birthday and the operation, what was the relationship with your parents like?
1: Um, We we have a a healthy relationship in some ways. During during that time, we did, Um, but we didn't. What were they? What's that? What were they?
0: What were the? What was the healthy part of the relationship?
1: well, it's funny. You might not read. know this, but I, I have a master's degree in conflict transformation, um, and so I think
0: you did tell me that. <laughs> I
1: think, you, but I, I mean,
0: you got like about nine PhDs as well.
1: No, none of that. None of that. <laughs>
0: well, it felt like that when we were talking face to face.
1: Well, um, <laughs> I have a master's in conflict transformation, and I'm I'm sometimes averse to it, and that's certainly true in family settings. Um. And so we were not in active conflict during that time. We just didn't talk about it, and um, and so it was just kind of this elephant in the room. Um, that was also, I started going by the name Cole, in gosh, twelve years ago, mm. and and it wasn't until after my surgery that my parents both started calling me Cole, um, and and so, I, I didn't push sorry. it, but. Uh, it was it was so, a real relief when they started to. So, so when you start, when you
0: decided to start going by coal, um, did you openly just say this to mum and dad, or was Jenny there is, I feel like Jenny's like Switzerland here. <laughs> <laughs> <Just> <laughs> Jenny, yeah,
1: um, Jenny is a little bit of Switzerland. Um, it's. You know, a funny thing, too, is one of the one of mom's reactions when I first told her that I was thinking about surgery was she said, but I just want to be a grandmother. Ah, yeah. And
0: um, that that old chestnut.
1: Uh-huh. As it turns out, Jenny pulled through and, and in so. fact. I'm loving
0: Jenny. <laughs> on, on every podcast, there is a there is an unsung hero
1: Jenny is is certainly a hero in the story um, the other person who's a hero is Alice my incredible niece um, Alice and this is the
0: obviously the granddaughter
1: this is the grandchild the long-awaited grandchild
0: yeah. so and, and Jenny
1: became pregnant with Alice or I, I forget if maybe that was when when the news became public that that yeah. Alice was was coming the same week that i had surgery so Alice you, planned a it. You're a,
0: you are a total sneak hole <laughs> like, you breaking news on your birthday and then you're orchestrating the surgery around the arrival of the grand, just so you can go under the radar i see i've got you worked <laughs> out now you weren't like this for me for you you i mean literally this is amazing
1: it was all very strategic <laughs> of course <laughs> Um, so, so Alice, your gran- Alice isn't your... quite old enough to understand um, how how indebted I am to her, but I will forever appreciate that she made the week of my surgery a lot easier because everyone was just in a good mood.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's I'm I'm, I'm taking notes here, Cole. You are you, this brilliant mind of yours <laughs> orchestrating everything. So let's go back to uh early years cole um i mean half of my friends are gay queer or you know whatever people's um you keep good sexuality. company well yes yeah, so uh, it's always been like i think when you work in the creative industry um it it's just part and parcel of it all comes with the uh, with the work um and i've spoken you know we've got you know family friends that are like you know they're like family um and you sort of speak to people and they often say coming out was uh, painful it was scary you know there was there was all this sort of kickback from friends and family or was you know I was rejected At what age do you sort of feel that you knew um that you didn't fit the what society says everybody should be and at what point were you really starting to think about the surgery mm. you know so two questions in one there for you yeah uh,
1: what- uh well i i grew up in the military my dad was in the air force um
0: me mine too different air force though
1: um, well sure uh we were however stationed at RAF Alkenbury for a time so part of my childhood was in England um maybe our, our dad's cross paths
0: perhaps not. no my, my father was in the for, in the air force in in the 50s and I'm very much doubt <laughs> I'm very much you're there. aging you're...
1: well you're aging well
0: <laughs> no just had me late
1: <laughs> <laughs> well um so, there wasn't any queer representation for me growing up. I didn't know really that queer people existed. And um, and then I was. What, also... what
0: decade? What decade were you sort of. Be...
1: Do you mind me asking? Sure. You... I was born in 1983. I'm 39 now. Uh, my, my birthday, the, the fateful day. Uh, June 28th is also the anniversary of the Stonewall Riots in New York City, Uh, so I was perhaps born into this destiny, Um, but growing up, I I didn't know, I mean, queerness wasn't really a thing. I think Ellen DeGeneres came out very Mm. notoriously in the 90s, um, and that was some of my first awareness that that was a thing. Um, Mm. but not only was I in the military where don't ask, don't tell was, was the policy. Mm. I was also growing up in a fairly religious, uh, Christian home and community. And, and so though there are plenty of Christian communities that are really affirming of queer and trans people, that was not the case for me growing up. Um, Mm. and so, I think too. I was. I was also a rule follower. I was very committed to following the rules, never getting in trouble. In the military
0: environment as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, some military brats are absolute rule breakers, but I was. Yeah. I was very invested in, in being a good kid, and and so I ultimately went to a Christian college in Texas. Um, you can make a lot of assumptions about that, most of which will probably be true, and. I, I honestly thought that I was just a, trying to be a good, straight Christian girl. I did think that abstinence was extraordinarily easy and and didn't understand those of my friends who were struggling with this idea that they had to wait for marriage to have sex. I, I was not interested in having sex with boys. Um, and, and so it really wasn't until I was about 20, 21 years old, that I started to meet out queer people and, and started to realize like, oh, I'm like you. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I, I began to come out as queer my senior year of college. That would have been 2005. And, but, but still it was very theoretical for me. And, you know, and I, I told my parents, I'm like, I don't think I'm straight, but I don't, I don't know what else I am. What was the response to that Cole? Um, you know, was it like was it like
0: your birthday in the restaurant?
1: <laughs> well, um, in this case, I I did not have the conversation on my birthday. I didn't actually anticipate the conversation at all. Um, it was the spring semester of my senior year, and I was grappling with this big question that I was really ashamed of and really terrified of. Um, in my mind, it was not a good thing to be queer. It was not a Christian thing to be queer. Um, and, and so I, I was really reluctant about it, but realizing that it was very likely true for me. And, and I didn't know how to talk to my parents about it um, and also anticipated that my parents' reaction would be really negative not necessarily because of anything they'd done or said, but because that was that was what i I saw around me. I saw like friends who were being rejected by their families being mm. kicked out of their homes. and and i I just didn't know how my parents would respond. And so i I um, just stopped stopped calling them. and um, and they they weren't reaching out to me at all. And so then one day out of the blue, dad calls and he says, Hey kid, haven't heard from you in a while. How's it going? And I was like, that's right. You haven't heard from me. Uh, -hmm. he didn't know that Mm -hmm. I was giving him the silent treatment and, and he said, well, you know, I I figure you've, you're busy with school. It's your last semester. Just didn't want to bother you. Um, Mm -hmm. what's, what's going on. And, and I said, you know, dad, you don't know anything about me. Like, how, how could I, how could I even like have this conversation? And I think most people in that situation would have gotten defensive, would have kind of bristled and, Mm. and, um, dad didn't do that. And I'm forever grateful that he, in that moment took a deep breath and he said, well, what do you want me to know about you?
0: Do you think that he had an inkling that something might be on the horizon as it were?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um when I, put I it then as tearfully admitted what I was what I was trying to figure out um one of the things he said to me he said, "Well, you know, your mom and I have considered that possibility." <laughs> you know, it's often you- true that everyone around us knows things about us before we do about ourselves or before we're able to accept things about ourselves. But I think,
0: you know, what you've just sort of said, you were reluctant and probably, you know, struggling with sharing that piece of information because you were saying, you know, you had friends around you that were all being rejected and kicked out of home and all this, you know, negative, negative, negative. And, And if the reality is there's a high percentage of people getting a negative response from their family.
1: Yeah.
0: Of course you're going to, it's just, you know, human nature to think that way. Yeah. So, so you, as you mentioned earlier, your dad is the sort of the peace, peacekeeper, mm-hmm. dare I say, I don't know if that's the right choice of word when being in the military, but you know, peacekeeper, I suppose. Um, and and he's turned around to you and said, "Well, mum and I have actually had discussions about this yeah, and what how did that make you feel was that was that a relief, or was it like, why the hell haven't you brought anything
1: up or <laughs> what, what, what uh it what? it was a relief and um and i I don't think that people should ever um like, People have to come into their, their queerness, uh, their, their own self understanding at their own pace. And so I would never encourage a person to like pull, try to pull someone out of the closet. Um, yeah. And,
0: and so So that's, that's from a parent or a friend point of view there. Don't, don't drag them out. Right. Right. Maybe jump, jump in
1: there with them, you know? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Like bring a disco ball bring, bring <laughs> some, like some nice tea. Um, yes. but people should never be, be forced out of the closet. And, mm. and so I, I took my time and, um, I did, uh, part, part of my process was of course, uh, like, like many people, I, I ran away to California, um, so I...
0: We've all done that. We've all done that.
1: Yeah. In, in, you know, whatever <laughs> I, your, your I actually, country's version of California is. No, or, I actually did
0: go to California. Oh, 96. Well, I was there in 96.
1: I, yeah, I moved there in 2005. And, um, and... I was in
0: Australia then. I'd run away to Australia. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Just> <laughs> you know, I I think that self-definition and and self-awareness often grows when we step out of our comfort zone. Right. And I think, um, for me, it was another move. It was actually moving back across to the East coast. And 2010 was when I I moved to Virginia to pursue a master's. Um, and, and it was during that time I, I attended Eastern Mennonite university. Um, I was, Engaged, was deeply engaged in the work of um, organizing LGBTQ justice movements, especially in faith communities. And, and so having come from faith communities that were not supportive of or, or inclusive of queer and trans people, um, I wanted to, I wanted to advocate for that to change. And an Eastern Mennonite University at the time was a place where queer and trans people were not affirmed. Um, there was actually a policy in place for faculty staff and undergrads that, um, you could not have sex outside of marriage. And, and that had at one point in time, the policy was used to fire a couple of professors who, who were queer and living with partners, um, so you,
0: you're not, you weren't allowed to have sex outside of marriage? Right, right. Because generally when you get married, that's when you stop having sex.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: well. Um, Sorry, I, I, I just couldn't help myself there. <laughs> 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 no,
1: nonetheless, so, the, 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 yeah. Um, so they were, had fired, from,
0: they, were, they were fired from their jobs.
1: Yeah, um, and there are a lot of Christian schools especially that have um, even harsher policies than Eastern Mennonite um, well, policies such that... Such as
0: what? What do you mean, harsher policies than that? Um, Ooh,
1: that explicitly oh. say you cannot be queer. They would not use the word queer, um, but they mm. forbid homosexuality. Um, they forbid... Any sort of like gender transgression, and you can be kicked out of school for that.
0: Um, what from school if you're not home if you're not heterosexual?
1: Correct. So these are the institutions that maintain these policies are, I think, um, all of them are religious schools that utilize, I would say, um, manipulate the religious freedom protections that we have in the United States um, to mm. say that it is their religious freedom, um, it is an exercise of their religious freedom to discriminate against queer and trans people. And so they are oh, currently legally justified. Um, but that is that is actively being challenged right now. Um, and in fact, uh, an organization that I'm a big fan of and and on the board of directors for Soulforce is is very active in that ongoing work to challenge the manipulation of religious freedom and and to um, really take to account the institutions that are manipulating religious freedom to further advance anti queer and trans policies and and theologies.
0: I'm now starting to remember why I thought you were really intelligent when we met i <laughs> stop just, just listening I, I get, to you. I get, I get really so nervous. Lit, about. No, no, it's brilliant. I mean it's great content. I mean it's the only reason I'm not interrupting is because i am I d I'm I'm just you're on a different level to me. <laughs> I've got I'm just sitting here. I feel like I'm at a lecture. I feel like I'm at a TED meeting. It's it's fascinating. So to to get on to how you know when you came over for your portrait. which is going to cut. I tend to with my erratic brain, Cole. I tend to I'm go back. It's a bit. It's a bit like quantum leap, but on <sighs> podcasts. Um, when you applied for the scars series, which it's the longest series I've worked on, only because of the pandemic. What were you hoping? to get not because and I say this every week not because I'm taking the pictures but what were you what was the the outcome that you really would like to get from the imagery was it self looking at yourself in a different way was it sharing your journey trying to inspire others in a similar boat what 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 were you trying to achieve by doing the series
1: I think that my primary goal was, um, visibility. Um, not, not necessarily of, of myself, but Mm. the, um, the reality is that a lot of people don't know, or don't think that they know trans people. And without that connection, without that relationship, it's really easy to maintain a, a sort of, Negative or, um, or or even um, hateful view of trans and gender non-conforming people. Um, I think that when Ellen came out in the nineteen nineties, that was huge. It was so important to to just for for me.
0: Have to, a role model of someone to look up to in a way, or relate to at least,
1: right? And and even just to 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 realize I'm not the only one. Mm. Um, I think that the the internet has certainly changed the the accessibility of mm. of different types of people and different ways of living. You know, we can see more examples, but um, that wasn't true for me in the '90s. And and I think it's still not necessarily true for a lot of people, um, who who are realizing, like, I like, I don't fit in this mold that has been, you know, in like told yeah told to me or, or you know that that I'm being forced into, and yeah. um, I think, you know, I still, um, in. The laws are different in different parts of the states but in north carolina where i live um i believe it, it is illegal for a woman to be topless and uh technically my well, we're
0: talking uh, i presume we're talking out in public right, we're not right, talking right, about yeah. it, in the. It, you do it, what you in want the... in your
1: own home um but would that mean
0: in the back garden as well
1: I think, well, I'm, I, think well, I think
0: we'll have to look into this. Yeah, yeah.
1: We? I I haven't I haven't delved into that that legal precedent. So but
0: women are not allowed to be topless mm-hmm. in North County, right? Okay.
1: And so technically, my driver's license still has an F on it. Um, if if I were to change it, I, you know, I would I would if I if I lived in a state where you can replace the M or the F with an X, I would do that. But I don't identify so as a man. So you
0: so you, you can't in that state. You can't change it to an X.
1: No, no, that's not not possible in North Carolina. Um, regardless, the the point is that um, it's my nipples are still technically illegal, and
0: so I photographed illegal nipples.
1: It's true. It's true. And you know, but aren't know all, nip, all, all, nip,
0: all nipples on Instagram are <laughs> illegal. Um, oh god, don't get me started on that.
1: And you know, if um, if my body looks different, Instagram probably would have pulled those photos off. Um, but because I, I no longer have breasts and my nipples are just on a flat chest, um, I can I can kind of move in different ways. And yet it's still kind of scary to be topless, to be shirtless out in the world. Not because I think that anyone's going to arrest me per se. Um, but because there is a, there's a risk always of, of violence, um, whether it be physical or um, just getting yelled at. And, um, and, and also, um truth be told, I don't like being stared at. And I think when somebody sees my body and uh, they, there is often, whether I'm wearing clothes or not, there's often kind of a, a confusion of like, what, like, is that a boy or a girl? Like, people really want to fit people into categories. and Yeah,
0: everyone, uh, they love that.
1: Yeah, everyone it makes has them feel to safer. Pigeon- yeah.
0: So um, to di- just to dive in there, Cole um you sort of saying people staring, people commenting uh, how long have you been aware has it been since you had your operation was it before then you I mean what what I mean are you just getting sort of right wing nutters shouting out? I mean what is it <laughs> is it the
1: general public I mean what
0: uh, I mean, is it all every the way back day up.
1: Like, elementary yeah. school, grade school, getting teased and and being asked, like, are you a boy or a girl? Um, I, Didn't you show me a photo of you with long hair? I, yeah, I, I had some I think unfortunate you dug out hair some haircuts.
0: Inf- I think, yeah, well, it was a scare cut, I think, is what it's technically cluster.
1: Well, <laughs> as a child, I... My, my Didn't hair you have was... a really
0: bad fringe?
1: Didn't you have a really <laughs> bad fringe in it? I had what, what I now would describe as a bowl-cut mullet. Mm.
0: That's um, what you showed me. Do you know sometimes when I'm scared and I close my eyes, I see that photo. It's the first thing that I see.
1: I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 my hair was, was short when I was in, I don't know, first grade when I was about six years old. And so the teasing got worse. And so I invented the mullet. Um, I, you know, I don't. I don't know if I'll be credited in the history mm. books, but I realized that I needed, because of societal expectations, I needed to have longer hair. But I really liked having short hair, and so my mm. compromise was to have long hair in the back. Um, it's. It wasn't a good look. But so it's actually I so. Think, are a you are you friends?
0: Now. Are you friends with like Billy Ray Cyrus and, we, we and Michael Bolton? Friends. Are you, yeah. did you ever hang out with those guys? You know,
1: I like to think I was their inspiration. Yeah.
0: It's <laughs> a horrible visual. <laughs> Michael and Billy together sat in a VIP oh, yeah. lounge. Yeah. It's horrible. So when people do, and I say this on every single episode, I still don't understand why people feel compelled or think it's okay to speak to a complete stranger and say something abusive Mm -hmm. um what what's what was it like when this sort of started do you just sort of get thick skin and and sort of i mean it's got to be hurtful Mm. is it something you've learned to live with Uh, are you sort of older wiser now and you just sort of you can switch it off i mean how how is all that.
1: Do you still get people say things to you now? Well, I, I have curated my life in such a way that I don't interface with uh, very many. Um, I, I, I live in Durham, North Carolina. Um, I, I surround myself with lots of lovely, lovely people who are either queer and trans themselves or um, are very supportive And of course we we go to grocery stores, we do things. Um, I think I'll, I'll share a story from, um, so the surgery that I had is wildly it's outpatient surgery. So I was, I was home um, the same, the very same day and had taken two weeks off from, from my job um, just to heal and recover. And, and was feeling up to working again um, after those two weeks, but I wasn't yet able to ride my bicycle, which was typically how I would get to and from work. And, And so I was living in Boston, Massachusetts at the time, and had to take the train. And anyone looking at me at that point would just assume that I was a young, healthy person. There was no they couldn't see that I had a bunch of bandages under my clothes. Um, mm. and, and I, you know, otherwise looked perfectly fine. And, and so um, on, on the train, nobody would think to offer me a seat. And the train inevitably is always very crowded. And, and when you can't sit, you then have to reach above your head to hold onto a, a loop to stable mm. yourself. And I simply couldn't do that. And, and it was, um, yeah, it was extraordinarily painful to lift my hand up that high. And so ultimately I had to, I had to just change my schedule so that I wasn't commuting during rush hour. Um, but what occurred to me during that time was that, um, everybody is healing from something. And most of the time we can't see, we don't know. And sitting on that train, just looking around at people realizing like we're all navigating some some hurt, some trauma. Um, and and it just helps me remember to just have as much compassion for people as possible. Um, and so when I encounter people who say say rude things um my my feeling is that they they've never maybe maybe they've never met a trans person before maybe they've never met a queer person before Um, and that's really unfortunate because we're really excellent people (laughs) And I, I would concur with that. We, we throw the best parties and we have lots and lots of fun.
0: Well, I, I'm still waiting for my invite. I mean, it's three <laughs> and a half years now. I mean, we have had the pandemic, but pff, well, still haven't got that invite.
1: Next, next time you're in the US, we'll, we'll, well throw a
0: party. The, 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 the offspring are are dropping a lot of hints about coming to to New York. Definitely um, that, that is on the list. Um, but I I think I think that is I totally agree with what you've just said A about the parties and B that I think a lot of verbal abuse that is sort of nonchalantly thrown at individuals for whatever uh, the reason is it is da- it's just down to ignorance and lack of knowledge of that kind of person. You yeah. know I I photographed people who have visual severe visual differences um whether it be from an accident or or a condition they were born with or whatever and they all say you know that it, it's the same common strand that goes through everybody's individual journeys everybody's paths different but the destination is always the same and it's always you know i i just i can't understand why a complete stranger Feels compelled to comment to someone that they've don't know that they don't understand, and then they go about their day and their business and they forget about it. But they could say something that that person carries with them for a lifetime. Yeah, and that that's the one thing that really gets my back up because it's it, it there's just no need for it. It's so petty. It's so easy, just don't say anything. Yeah. Or, or, or ask a question, be inquisitive and approach that person, try and understand and learn from that individual. But to just go up to a complete stranger and say something cutting and abusive and, and narrow minded is uh, what, what, who, all they're doing is fueling their own ignorance
1: and ego. Yeah. Fortunately, um there are uh, for all for all of the the ignorant and um, I, I'd say just that for all the people who are lacking in, in awareness and compassion, um, there are also so many wonderful, delightful, caring people. You know I was in the airport recently, and um, it was around the time. I mean, these days there's all kinds of anti-trans legislation popping up uh, around the country, and and this was um, shortly after Texas had introduced legislation that would effectively criminalize parents who supported their kids in in living into their what? their gender more fully. Yeah. Hang on a minute. The, the so, so they're they're like currently several legal so, so it's like
0: a domino so it's like a domino effect so it's not just the trans individual it's their parents right. that would support their decisions
1: right this is part of the right wing's current strategy is to um same with abortion access rather than attacking um that's people a who whole different that's a whole
0: different that's a whole different episode
1: Yeah. But, But, um, the, the people who are providing care to trans people, um, people who are, you know, making abortions accessible, those medical providers, those parents, those teachers are now being criminalized. And, um, so anyway, this was, this was happening and in Texas at the time. And, and I, I saw a woman wearing a t-shirt in the airport that said, um, something along the lines of like, oh, it, it looked like the Texas flag and said, don't mess with trans kids. Um, similar to the, the Texas anti-litter campaign. Don't mess with Texas. Little known fact. It's an anti-litter campaign. Um, and I, I did a 180 and and followed her and I tapped her on the shoulder. It's like, hi, you don't know me. I just wanted to say, thank you for wearing that shirt. And she looked back at me and I presume she smiled. She was wearing a mask. We don't know. Um, But she she said, um, she said, do you know what they're doing in Texas right now? I was like, I I do. It's it's messed up. And she said, yeah, I'm flying to Austin. I figured they needed to hear this. So, you know, that, um, I feel like those, those individual actions, like maybe it doesn't feel important to wear a t-shirt with a political slogan. Maybe it doesn't feel like significant enough, given the circumstances that we find ourselves in politically right now to, to just be, to be out, to be Mm. visibly different in the world, but it's so important. It's so essential. and, And I'm so grateful to you for, um, you, you have a much bigger platform than I ever will. And and so I'm never say to you for... never say
0: no. I'm I'm losing followers just because I'm I'm so old now. The the, the, <laughs> the kids, the it's kids that used to TikTok. follow it. You gotta
1: you gotta like. Keep well, up with times. well,
0: I have started a new app called Brick Brock, but it, there's I've, nobody's taken to it yet. So <laughs> we're not doing TikTok. Uh, but that 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 is nice. I am still trying to digest those those Texan it. it I mean. I feel globally, uh, being being the very proud father of two children, who I won't lie, at times are, are very challenging. Sometimes I wonder that you know, do I do I, am I ever appreciated for permanently cleaning up after them? But I'm very proud that my kids are. They just take people on. Dare I say face value? I mean, it's an awful pun for the podcast, but the people are already listening to it anyway. But they don't judge. You know, yeah. they get to meet all these inspiring individuals from all walks of life from all over the place, and they get to probably meet thirty or forty percent of them, I'd say. And it's it's just good for their life schooling. You know you can yeah. travel, you can go to private boarding school what all these things meeting diversity in people, learning from people that's an amazing it's like the school of life, should we say right. and and to hear that you've got these these laws being written up where you know you're persecuting that individual because of their life choice as a as a person. But then, well the parents, the this, the that, everybody else, they're also gonna be prosecuted as well. And it's for what? You know, what what is this? It's it's people aren't it's not gonna stop. People aren't gonna stop being queer, homosexual, bisexual, non binary, whatever.
1: It's true. We are um, it, it's like, it's
0: yeah, it it just, all it's going to do is push everybody underground and it, you know, it's just, we're at a point now where so much has improved and in the last, dare I say, five or six years, ten years, five years, things have really regressed in certain areas for me. You know, racism... Sex everything. It just, it just. I feel like we're back in the nineteen fifties at times. I mean, do you do you sort of feel? Do you you know you? I mean, I can't watch the news sometimes. I'm just like, do you know? It's been a long day. I'm not going to watch the news. I want to go yeah. to bed. Slightly ignorant because I haven't watched the news, but I want to go to bed with a slightly clear head. Do, do you know what I mean with that?
1: Yeah, I fully understand. Um, I think that so much of what we're experiencing right now is ultimately backlash to the tremendous gains that we have made and to Mm. the fact that a progressive and liberatory vision for our world is emerging. And, and I think part of how, um, what keeps us from winning is forgetting that we are the majority, that the majority of people truly want a world where, where people are, are free just to be who they just are. Just get on, just get on and get on. Right. Just get on with our lives. And, and you know, a world where, where people have their needs met, right? Mm. Um, and so I, I see the backlash as evidence to how powerful we really are. And, um, and sometimes, yeah, if you watch the news, it can be easy to forget that, that there's, there's a lot of progress still to be celebrated and we have a long way to go, but my friend Helen Bennett says this regularly. She says, like, we're not there yet. We're not yet in, in the world that we dream of, but we're one day closer. And, and I I think that, it's so important for my well-being, for my like, mental health, to stay tuned in to that reality that we're one day closer, one step closer. And, and in, in the case of your work, one photograph closer to a world where people who are different um, aren't ostracized, but are, are honored and appreciated because, you know, we're, we're just human,
0: well, it just equals
1: as yeah. <laughs>
0: simple as that. Um, as I think we're coming, I know you've got work, and I think we've we're just over the hour mark. Uh, I I literally could just listen to you for days, Cole. Um, you just have a very calming. It's almost. I mean, if I if my insomnia comes back, I'm just going. Not that you put me to sleep. It's just very calming. I just want to, you know, reiterate. I'm not saying you're putting me to sleep, but you've just got a calming way about you. Um, what would you, being um, wiser, you know, a little bit older, what would you, what would your advice be to? Um, Men and women, or male and females, born male and females that, that feel that they're, you know they're not born in the right body or they' don't, you know don't relate to the ticking of boxes with society, what would you have told your younger self that you know now about mm. the journey that you've gone through, apart from don't share the news on your birthday in a restaurant <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think I would have tried to interrupt all of the fear that held that, um, kept me back for so long. Um, I wish I had known earlier that there was a whole community and world waiting to embrace me and, and include me and, and celebrate and, and like, just live, live in a, in with an, me, a, yeah, right, yeah, um that yes, there there are things to be afraid of, um, but the fear dissipates the more we find one another, and mm. and so, I wish I'd known sooner that um that I wasn't alone and and so. You know, I hope that more and more young people who are coming into their own awareness of um, being trans or genderqueer or non-binary or pangender—like I—I mm. am learning so much from younger generations now, as as they. I'm glad. I'm to glad just, you're
0: saying that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> they're like <laughs> blowing. Blowing out of the box in way, like, sometimes we we live inside boxes that we don't even know are boxes. And mm. and so I'm so grateful for the people who came before me who helped to like,
0: Pave the way. shine
1: a light on, on like, mm. what, what's real and what's possible. Um, you know, I am forever indebted to Leslie Feinberg, to Marsha P. Johnson, to Sylvia Rivera, to the trans elders who, who were so much braver than I ever had to be um,
0: right.
1: so that people like me could, could come out slowly but, but could come out and, and, and I hope that generation by generation it just gets easier and also more fun. We should always have fun.
0: <laughs> I, I totally agree and I think fun is a good word to end mm. this. Uh, it's been fascinating, Cole, and it really is lovely to see you uh, again. I'm sorry it's been so long. And I didn't actually mention that Cole sent me an actual letter, a poem, typed <laughs> on a typewriter, and I've got it. I've got It's on the fridge. I should have oh, actually so brought it up, but I was so flustered with it with getting this Zoom meeting going. Um, But genuinely, guys, really lovely, fascinating, as always, to talk to you. I will be revisiting your series and grading a new work for the podcast. Um, My producer, Chris Fink, who's also one of my best friends, uh, recently got married and I did his wedding photos for him as a present. He's wow. got four four episodes to edit now. I, I last week and this week I've been prolific, so all I'm saying, Chris, if you actually do listen to this, you better get your ass into gear. So it's, I've put it up to a fifteen by saying ass. Oh, I've said it twice. Cole, <laughs> an absolute pleasure. Just stay on the line for two minutes. I'm going to press stop on my record. I'm going to okay. say farewell for now. If you like what you've listened to on this episode, you can subscribe to uh, Face Valley with Brock Earlbank on all of the, those big platforms that Chris puts this out on. Thank you for listening. And Cole, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you so much, Brock.